Season 5 from Compulsion to Creativity. Today on the podcast, my homie Steve Carter. ASI, Attitudes of Sexual Integrity. My name is Rush Shaw. This is Season 5, Episode 15. Steve is a great guy, friend of mine. Steve's one of those dudes that I, I wouldn't mind sharing the inner recesses and intricate, you know, catacombs of my my twisted heart, right? Steve's one of those guys that I can let down into the lower deck of my ship and... Uh, show them the engine room of my soul, right? Like, you don't just let everybody in there. That's that's what Steve is. Steve's one of those cats for me. Steve, and there's some of you who may be thinking, well, the reason you bond with Steve or connect with Steve is because he's part of your tribe, right? No, not necessarily. He's a, he's a humble guy, and he's not a guy who struggled with addiction, chemical dependency, uh, compulsive behavior. But what's really interesting about Steve is he's a guy who's gone after the roots of those things anyway. And I don't know how long you've listened to this podcast, but I'm not a guy who just lets pastors right into that place. Most of the time when I did in the past, it went bad. It basically hit the pause button or the stop button on my recovery and my healing for sometimes years because I figured I just can't trust these people. But Steve is busting out of his own rusty cage and running. Why is that important? Especially in religious circles or especially in Christian circles, there's a lot of energy spent on building walls. Uh, the rules, the dogma can be a comfortable boundary line, right? A comfortable border. And then rather than growth taking place, there's folks who will spend decades trying to protect that border rather than really looking into their own hearts and seeking healing for themselves, um, seeking life for their families, for the people that their life touches, the, the ripple effect that they make, you know, getting out of this existential kind of uh, navel-gazing into a, a life of busting that wall down. Or as the lead-in intro music by Soundgarden and the cover by Johnny Cash would say, breaking your rusty cage and running, right? Because the truth is, after we build our rusty cage or sit ourselves behind our walls, we get comfortable. It's more difficult to tear down those walls. Does that make sense? And those walls go into a, a fundamental human need, in my opinion. And th something that I've seen over the years is that security and significance are incredibly strong. And when we come become a part of a church, even an unhealthy church, and not just church, you know, there's all sorts of social constructs that build borders, Right. The Hillary supporters hate the Trump supporters who hate the Hillary supporters. Right. We got people protesting in my country over a election 
where the the Republican Trump won. A lot of people are mad. I get that. But where were they during the primaries? You know, there's there's so much going on emotionally that we start to just get angry when our borders are crossed, when when our boundaries are threatened. That's when our lives become more unmanageable. Things don't make sense on that conscious level. So we start to bond and connect with our walls and our boundaries. And this causes all sorts of horrible, dysfunctional relationships and behaviors. I've got emails over the years from people that said, you know, I went to a group and it didn't help. It actually hindered to an extent. And I believe the reason for that is a thing in social psychology called groupthink, where there's a denomination that set up a men's group or a celebrate recovery kind of thing, but they're still touting their boundaries, right? They're still have an attitude. They exude an attitude that people can sense. People that are really seeking healing on the inside, they can feel it. And the leaders of these groups, I don't hate them. I'm not angry at them. I think that some of it is just subconscious. They're not aware of it. Have you ever uh, had a friend who went nose blind to something, right? Like I had a friend who, who had a lot of cats and he didn't necessarily realize when you don't change the cat box that often, like the smell is in your clothes. And sometimes that's that's being a friend, right? Like I have a relationship with this cat enough to go, you smell like a cat. Right? He was, and he trusts me. Like you can't just say that to anybody. Like that's rude if you say it to a coworker you don't know that well. But this dude, I'm like, yeah, I don't know, man. I just pull him aside. It's sort of like if I had some kind of gunk on my face and I didn't know it, and then I'm just walking around with that thing on my face, right? And people are like looking at me. You, you know, it's your real friends who are going to tell you when you smell like cat, right? So I know this is a funny story, but I, this is very much how some of these groups operate. The leaders of those groups have become nose blind to some of the some of the coldness socially in their own ideology. And a lot of times we're because we're not conscious of what it is that we're smelling, right? People just leave the group or they leave the church. I think this is happening in droves in evangelical Christianity today in my country. In a church situation, I would say, in their own approach to the other or the people that Jesus says we're supposed to reach out to, right? Like, love your neighbor. What do you think that means? I mean, there's a ton of folks, that's what I'm saying, that have grown nose blind to their own cold ideology or systems or dogma or whatever the approach is that builds and constructs these these walls that are in the corral, right? And when you have a corral, maybe some of you country folks or folks who've worked on a farm realize this about a corral, or if you've been to the fair, right? Corrals have a certain stench, a certain odor. And if you are the one who actually smells that odor, yeah, you you might be in dangerous waters, right? With your with your crew, with your tribe, unless the leaders are understanding and they'll listen. If not, they tend to go to work like a bad reality show, 
so that they can vote you off the island because nothing is more important to an unhealthy or toxic leader than keeping the status quo. Why do they keep working to protect a system that doesn't work? Because subconsciously their egos quickly go to work in order to to keep people in, to keep people bonded to their system. In recovery, and this is why I've never been a guy who says, oh yeah, you know, go download the newest uh, software that protects you, right, from yourself, right? Uh, filtering software. I've never been a big proponent of that. I get why people use it. Do I think it's a good fence? It makes you think before you cross that boundary. Yes, there's some critical reasoning that could take place in there. That's a whole nother podcast. But... The reason you're not looking at pornography or the reason you're seeking recovery, and I would say seeking healing for a broken connection, and it's the wall or the boundary marker, the wall becomes this easy place to connect to rather than seeking out healthy, functional relationships. Some of this comes from our upbringing. Some of this comes from how we saw our father or our mother and whether we were able to connect with them and what kind of walls they built for us. I love this song. Um, Reminds me of the developmental, emotional state of creating connections, creating bonds, as one neuroscientist, Peter Cohen, wrote about uh, 2009, he wrote a book called The Naked Express, Modern Neuroscience and the Concept of Addiction. He wrote this. He says we should stop talking about addiction altogether and instead call it bonding. A heroin addict is bonded with heroin because she couldn't bond as fully with anything else. So the opposite of addiction is not sobriety. The opposite of addiction is connection. Something to maybe reflect on while you listen is how Steve realizes and starting to see, much like myself, the, the bars of the rusty cage. See, it becomes really difficult to see the bricks in the wall if you've grown nose blind to them. If you can't even see where the border is, the reason Steve is a salty guy, to use that word, I think the reason why people seeking healing are attracted to guys like Steve is because he exudes salt and light, especially in a world where Western Christianity has lost most of its saltiness. On the other side of this bumper, my conversation with Steve Carter, former chaplain for the former Seattle Supersonics, which I didn't even know because Steve keeps his ego in check. I didn't even know this about him until this interview. So here you go, my awesome friend Steve Carter.
people's names I don't know why I do that but welcome to the podcast my friend thank you Steve and I are friends uh, I wanted to introduce you to the audience would you say you're a, you're an ex-pastor or you're still a pastor like you can marry people and all yes. that but you're not like in a church as an active no you don't have like a some kind of a title at, at any place no no I have uh, I've been a Associate pastor, I've been a youth pastor, I've been a chaplain. Uh, I was. Did you ever do that for a living? I know you've had jobs no, at work now. I've never been in full time paid full-time. ministry. Okay. Yeah. But I did 14 years of Sonic chapels, but you didn't know that, did you? What's a Sonic chapel? I was a chaplain to the Seattle Sonic. Oh, wow. For 14 years. Really? I did not yes. know that. A little secret up. Pull out. I don't. See, I don't great. tell a lot of people. So this going out is like, <laughs> really? Who is this dude? Wow. Uh, yeah. It was, and it was all weird. Is a buddy of mine was doing it, and he just invited me in a, at a time in my life when it, it was good. I needed it to uh, be affirmed, and and uh, and uh, yeah, it was it was a trip. 15, 14 years. Wow. I was here the last year. I said goodbye, and yeah, off to Oklahoma City. Like, they went. Like pray for. Uh, Gary Payton or anything like that? No, but I, I prayed with his wife. Oh, yeah, interesting. Interesting gal. Um, she loves Jesus. Yeah? And, uh, yeah, I did an Easter uh, service. One of the uh, coaches' wives approached us and said, would you be interested in doing uh, a, a, an Easter service for us, the wives and the kids? And I happened to be on that day, and I said, I'd love to. So I did the Sonic Chapel, which was just a 15-minute uh Brief message. Asked the guys if I can pray for him. How can I pray for you? And then went and did the the gal or the the team, the families, and uh, it was awesome. Yeah. It, it was it was a great time just to get into these lives, and yeah. it'd be so cool to do it today, uh, where I am. But my buddy's so uh, encouraging. He said, "Steve, God used you exactly at that time to do exactly what He wanted to do." Yeah, yeah. I'm like, and I got guys. I still see them. Uh, Steve Scheffler. Uh, he referred to himself as uh, Sean Kemp's tackling dummy, uh, <laughs> yeah. six fight six nine guy out of Purdue, uh, awesome guy. Um, I've seen him a few times since. Yeah, um, I could go down and, and see some of these guys, and they still remember me just because of the time we were there. And, right, right. But it was a cool time. But yeah, other than that, um, just been in church wherever yeah. I can be, yeah. doing whatever I can do. So yeah, the whole Sonics thing is really interesting because, like, I can imagine what what uh, what Gary Payton. So Gary Payton and, and Howard Schultz like butt butted heads a lot, and then it, it's even credited as as he kind of 
Gary Payton kind of broke down Howard Schultz's ego. Howard Schultz, by the way, uh, for those who don't know, is a guy who, he's the CEO of Starbucks. So he owns Starbucks Coffee. Steve and I are sitting outside of the Red Door, like my, my interview with John Gayton, where, where, uh, where we talked about The Walking Dead a few episodes ago. But yeah, it's a really great little coffee roaster here in Everett, and it's funny how a lot of us locals trying to avoid Starbucks <laughs> because of the whole Sonics issue. Like, that's me. Is that bitter? Does I, I just, I don't know. Part of it is I'm not a big fan. I'm not a big fan of Starbucks. But that's that's one of those things. Like, the guy just sold our team to uh, Oklahoma City. And, yeah, so, interesting. And the uh, crazy thing about those years was realizing these guys. Were you up there till the end? When, I was when up the there whole, till the end. Wow. Yeah. I was there in 95 when we played the Bulls in the uh, championship series. Um, went to all three home games here, and I'm sitting there and looking at my buddy. I'm like, what are we doing here? Right. This, this is crazy, isn't it? Right. And two of the games we had seats. Third, we were down. We watched it in the locker room. Just sat back and watched the game, and we had total access. could go anywhere. Total, uh, We'd go to the practice facility and hang out with the guys and talk to the guys, go out to lunch with a few of them. Uh, Luke Ridenauer went out to lunch with him a few times, uh, who's since retired and lives in the area, from what I understand. Uh, believe down by Lake Washington, but some great guys. I wish uh, I could still be in relationship, in, in contact with them, but yeah. you know, they got lives and I got a life, so it was that season that God was really incredibly gracious to me. And, yeah, yeah. But yeah, yeah. Interesting. It was, it was crazy. So you... And the, you, you're an interesting cat. It's weird that I don't know that about you. <laughs> We've talked to extent about deeper stuff and things like that. And I've known you for like a year and a half. And, and you're one of those guys who who I've seen as... And it's not like, you know, you're, you're oh, like, struggles with porn or something like that. You're right. not one of those guys. But you're a guy who's been on one of those relentless uh, journeys of healing. Exactly. Yeah. And, and just... Not because there seems to be a lot like I can almost spot it now where there's a lot of Christians who have a sort of wall up and they're afraid to take that wall down and as a result they're not healing so you how, how, how old are you Steve 60 60 so you're you're a mature fella and there's a lot of folks who listen. Nicely put. Right? <laughs> I don't say that you're old, right? But there's a lot of folks who, who, who really believe this, and I've heard this, and it's, it's in the tone of some of the, the emails and messages that I've had over the years. Um, I can't change. Like I'm, I'm, too, I'm too set in my ways, they'll say, things like that. But I, when I see people who do change, what I do see is they're not afraid to extend out those boundaries like God is big enough to for them to take down some of those borders and boundaries and and we've talked extensively about religion and and those kinds of things uh, but and welcome and, and thanks for thanks for doing this thanks for being on the podcast um, what would you say would be your like biggest reason for for seeking healing like did you have some kind of a rock bottom kind of moment where you felt like I just can't live like this anymore I just can't do this anymore what what did that look like for you Steve yeah that feeling of unable to change would have characterized me mm. and I did hit um, bottom uh, 
it was probably I'm guessing now five six years ago I remember the aha moment uh, I'd come home typically I'd come home from work I'd work eight nine hours I'd come home I'd go upstairs go into my bedroom my wife and I's bedroom turn on the TV lay on the bed watch the news watch whatever fall asleep for two hours get up my wife would come home what's for dinner honey uh, she's worked all day she worked full-time and uh, do absolutely nothing my daughters would come home stay out of my way because I was an angry man uh, angry um, as I'm beginning to realize uh, was out of fear uh, and that's what I've heard I've, I've, somebody told me years ago that anger is just a response to either fear frustration or pain uh, yeah. which would be I would I can agree with that because I probably experienced all three of those. But one one afternoon, I got I was laying in bed, same as same scenario, and I just felt like God said, "That's it." And from that moment, it was like, "Okay, I can see this." And it's been a gradual. I mean, I I've had changes before. Or my wife, we've been married 36 years. Uh, I've changed before. I have promised, and she's seen changes. And this one. Um, she asked me uh, I, I apologize to her I apologize to my daughters uh, uh -huh. for the for the way I was and I, I told them so all. there wasn't some kind of a blow-up thing or mm -hmm. nothing like that you just it was a gradual slide that was slipping off the cliff right I, I honestly believe my Into wife like feeling depressed how did you feel yeah. in that moment was it sadness or it was sadness it was um, it was a sadness because of the way I was feeling, right. and and I mean I've been in the church, um, came to Jesus when I was a freshman in high school, right. and uh, you and know some of the book I'm writing is is getting down to that feeling of like your life is become a drift, or you're on a haunted sea in a ship without a rudder mm -hmm. <laughs> that kind of feeling, mm -hmm. it, something like that, or yeah, it was. I didn't know what to do with what I was feeling. Okay. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't happy. Uh, yeah. I had been pretending for so many years uh, that you know it's kind of crazy too because as I look back and this is all of a lot of the the season I'm in as I'm just looking back, thinking back about my life and I remember one several instances actually of feeling that God had something more for me than what I was experiencing, but I was in the church. Right. I mean, I came to Jesus as a, in a before-school Bible study. 1970, it was the end of the Jesus movement. Yeah. And a couple of, of people to come in and we're, we'd do a little worship. Songs I was really liking because it wasn't a piano and a hymn. It was just really love songs at the time. And uh, I remember he said, does anybody want to come and, ex and, and meet Jesus and commit their life to him? And boom. Yeah. And so I went forward and I just, but then I got into the church. <laughs> and my <laughs> wife says, Steve, be nice, be nice. I said, well, I got into the church and it was the behavior modification principle, right. or as, as Dallas Willard referred to it, as the gospel of sin management. Yeah. So in my whole church life, it's been, it's been more important that you look right than you be right. And that was the fight inside me. So my wife said, when I apologized for what, the life I had given her of lack of anger um, she would never know what mood I was going to be in my my oldest told told me 
she goes, Dad, um, and I've again, I said, I apologize. But my, my my oldest came to me. She said, Dad, I never knew what mood you were going to be in when you got home. And when the garage door would go open, I would get sick to my stomach wow. because I didn't know if you were going to come home in a rage. Uh, I just teared up and I said, Honey, I am so so sorry. Uh, and now the the cool thing is that they have seen the change and and in, in a way that they go, That's new to you, isn't it? I go, yeah. no, that's Jesus, man. That's Jesus healing. And yeah. uh, but I think I think the situation I was in was my wife and I were probably headed for a divorce mm -hmm. um, uh, because there was no connection there. And one of her fears is it was um, I've seen you change before. You said you changed, and you would for a period. And I look and I and I asked her. And I said, "You're right." And I said, "But for me, all my change in the past has been brought on by crisis." either an illness or a sickness or, or something or what would happen that would yeah. I'd go run into Jesus there was no crisis you should know the choir there brother <laughs> that's me too like uh high blood pressure like all of a sudden I'm like oh I better change or I'm gonna die yes or end up like my cousin who had a stroke and she's now in a uh, convalescent home you know I mean wow yeah, and it's like some fates worse than death, right? I yes. Mean, so, so yeah, I feel you. Anyway, I interrupted. Well, no, that's cool. I, and, I, and I think for me, what changed, what's really helped me was, uh, and, and, and I, I, I bought like five of these of uh, uh, Ragamuffin Gospel. Uh, I've bought like five copies and given that away right, yeah, uh, to people because book. what he said uh, in there was, what, and what resonates with me still to this day is is God loves you as you are, not as you should be, because none of us are where we should be. Right. And that has rocked me. That has made all the difference in the world. Because as I realize, for me, that God loves me regardless, then that love has enabled me to love God, which then enables me to love others. Yeah. And yourself. And myself. Yeah. That's the hardest one. That's the hardest. That one. is the hardest one. Yeah. Looking back at the stuff. There's a gal who was in uh, one of the community groups I was involved in at Mars Hill, who recently shared uh, a post on Facebook that uh, she got tattooed right on her wrist under her hand, loved. Wow. Because she she was preached it and knows it like you know it, it just hopefully i'm not messing up her post but <laughs> basically what she said was was this this attitude of you know you should know you're loved you should know you love steve yep. jesus loves you yep. you should know that this i know because the bible tells me so exactly yeah yes but do you feel it if you don't feel it then you're not conscious of it that's no. what i call like grace consciousness is being conscious of the grace that's given to you that no matter what you do like Seth and I had coffee yesterday or day before yesterday anyway and uh, and we were talking about that concept of grace because one of the things that he butts up against in his book is that he's not mr. behavior modification so I mean he tells these guys hey if you want to look at porn go look at porn you know right. you, if you know that you don't want to look at porn, that's why you're here right but don't try and play this game with yourself where you're beating yourself up because that doesn't work long term right because the fact that we're loved that's what changes us from the inside out that's where the addiction I, I criticized a guy Mars Hill guy one of the guys that didn't stick around very long uh, uh, I forget his name but he wrote a book called uh, Gospel Coach and that's one of the things he said in the book was 
when your addictions start to fall off, start to shed like a dog sheds hair, you know, that's when you, that's when you know you're changing. And I kind of, I bristled up against that at first when I heard it, but now I'm starting to realize yes. that that's yeah. where, that's where the change comes from. When it comes from the inside out, it's not stuffed in yes. from the outside or it's not, it's not a, a disciplined kind of thing. And I think that the, that the muscle that I've had to exercise, and maybe that's why you and I kind of hit it off so much, is, 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 is there's any kind of muscle I've had to exercise, a discipline, it's to realize that, that, that I'm loved. Correct. And it's Absolutely. not a dislike. It's a, there, there's, this, there's this relationship that I have with God that comes from the inside out, not from me trying to stuff it in from the outside, mm -hmm. which is most of... Christian theology today, yes. isn't it? Yes, yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. Don't go to this movie. You know, definitely don't drink that beer. Yeah. I remember the first, the first beer I had um, was with a vineyard pastor. Uh, we were having a, a leadership meeting down at uh, Ivers on the waterfront, and uh, you know, I've been around church guys before, and we're all, you know, oh, y'all yeah, have a diet Pepsi or yeah. you know, a water's fine with me, and and. Uh, She's taking her order, and, and it's the first time I've been out with this dude, and he says, I'll have the darkest, thickest beer you have. <laughs> I'm like, holy mackerel, what have I stumbled into? Yeah. And I still give him crap about that. I said, dude, I never drank beer until I hung out with you. <laughs> but that was me. It's that behavior. you got to do this. you got. You can't yeah. do that. I was told growing up. I mean, I was an angry man, and I was told growing up, don't be angry. I know that. Yeah. But I'm angry. Yeah. What do I do with it? And yeah. I was never told. There was never anything. And that's the thing with Jesus now is that, that that healing has happened. Is that, okay, why am I angry? Oh, I'm angry because I'm frustrated. What am I frustrated at? I'm frustrated because I can't figure this out. Why can't I figure this out? Because I'm an idiot. Thereby, yeah. I'm not loved. Yeah. And that's the struggle that I fight. Yeah. Uh, that, that Some of it goes to that, that father wound, right? Yep. Like. I felt that way with my dad some, just this kind of, I can't seem to do anything enough to get his praise or even, you know, acknowledgement that I'm more than just a son, I, I, you know, does yeah. that make sense? Yeah, it totally does. Yeah. Uh, another realization I came to is this same dude that I had my that vineyard pastor at the time, he told me, uh, we were just talking and about our lives and how, or we were exchanging uh, emails. And uh, he said, "Steve, I'm so proud of you." And I go, "Oh, thanks." You know, I didn't think about it at the time. And I thought back and I go, "God, that's the first time anybody's ever said that about me." Huh. And he said that to me. Yeah. Was it just the the season that we were in? My wife and I and daughters were in at the time. Uh, daughters diagnosed with uh, Crohn's disease. My wife has that. And, and here I was in the midst of this, pressing in and getting, trying to grow in my relationship. And he told me, he says, Steve, I'm so proud of you. And I'm like, dang, that's the first time I've ever heard that. Wow. And I was, you know, 55 years old at the time. Yeah. And, I, and it's a lot of the things that we've talked about, too, is that in that DNA, I think a lot of that wounding um, was in my dad. Mm. I think my dad was wounded. Yeah. But you didn't, it, you know, he he passed away uh, almost five years ago now, and that was not an. He would be eighty nine, and that's not an era where you were aware and talked about what is it's going on inside of you. Yeah, yeah, true. So I'm praying. Our dad's generation yes. had such big walls. Yes, you know, 
It's like that album by Pink Floyd, Pink Floyd's The Wall. I was talking with my, my wife's dad about that because he watched this whole concert like he was just enthroned like I couldn't I couldn't stop watching it and then he was talking about the war and stuff like that is this what he was going through and stuff and I said I said yes and it's deeper like why why do we build a wall why do you build a wall you know yeah that's the question that's the beautiful thing about that that work of art yeah the album or the we build these inner walls and, and, and the, the song, there's that one song on the album Pink Floyd the Wall. I was just listening to it yesterday uh, Mother yeah, of course mom's going to help build you yes. a, a wall you know yes. just, let, me, let mom put all her fear into you let me put all my, you know and they, it's not that, because they, they're, they're human beings they're, mm -hmm. and we grow up with these social norms where we think that this is normal because we grew up that way. And we don't realize that, oh crap, I'm standing behind a 14-foot wall with barbed wire on yeah, the outside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's the thing with my dad, you know, I, I don't, there, I think at first I was really pissed off, but now I look back at it and I have more empathy and sorrow for my dad because he never, I don't feel like he's ever able to express that stuff that was inside of him that is inadvertently passed down <clears throat> yeah and and down and down and that's one of the things i want to do with my daughters father, yeah. yes i don't i want my daughters to grow up now i have 25 and a 22 year old i want them to grow up feeling the freedom of knowing that they are loved irregardless yeah. and that's the thing i keep telling them i, I text them both two or three at least two or three times a week they're ones in uh down in newcastle and the others in missoula and uh, I'm constantly texting them, affirming them, telling them, hey, how proud I am. Yeah. Telling them my love for you is not dependent on what you do or yeah. don't do. Yeah. Because that is the love of the Father, God, yeah. and that changes everything. Because if you get that, for me, as I put on that perspective or the lenses, uh, it changes even how Scripture comes to life. Yeah. Because I quit reading it as this as this condemnation. Yeah. Or this list of rules. I even said that starting this podcast when I first started. I, I would say things like, well, the Bible's just a good instructional manual for life. Like, no, no, it's not, Russ, of uh, 10 years ago. It's yes. not. It's it's much deeper than that. It's it's more of a, a, a love letter. Yes. You know? Yes. Because yeah. you look at, you know, John 3.16 is the one we all know about. First of all, I mean, I knew that before I was even, I knew that from vacation Bible school. But then we failed to go on into 317. Yeah. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn it. Yeah. But through him I have life. Carter translation. Yeah. And as you look at that, because if you look, how do we not understand that? Yeah. How do we well, not? Well, I think part of it, and this is Paul Young hit me with this one, and I, I've been thinking through this this one for a while, not just in my in my head but in my heart and, and some like what you're talking about with with my family and how I as I was very angry too and sexual addiction those of you guys who are struggling with that there is so many roots that are tied to anger in that so sexual acting out and having a temper tantrum are very similar you're having a temper tantrum with your genitals is what you're doing and you're taking it right you're trying to get this release and, and it's the same thing that can happen when someone's triggered in traffic somebody just loses their shit in traffic you know it's very similar but that that energy that that some of it was and and, and this is what paul young hit me with 
is he said, because I would say, well, you know, Jesus died for our sins. And he says, yes, but just stopping there is a cop-out because it's bigger than that. It's, it's not just an economic transaction because what a lot of people have is this transactional faith where, well, dad loves me, you know, that's it. Like end of the story yeah. with big question mark, yeah. you know. Yeah. And, and there's no there's no relational freaking equity involved. I'm using that word. I'm using mm -hmm. economic terms because there's it, there, there seems to be this cold transaction when we just leave it at, well, Jesus died for your sins, and that's how much God loves you. Like Jesus wasn't a pound of flesh that God had to have for to settle our debt. Like that's that's almost offensive to me now looking back because there's it's devoid of loving relationship. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. 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 Makes a lot of sense actually. So, you know, and that's where you and I have talked about some of that that the relational if there's no relational impact, it's not it's not tangible. Like the only things we're going to bring out of this this life, you ain't going to bring your truck, you ain't going to bring your house all that cool shit you have. No, you're gonna die. And the only thing you take we take with us is those relationships. And those are what is important. And that's what you know we're, we're talking about here. Some is, is I think that for both of us, I think maybe what we we're starting to realize is that this this journey of healing that we've been on, we're finding what we really value. Right? Yes. Yeah. 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 And that's, I think, that's, that's been the voice or the call in my heart for years, was that there was something more. Yeah. Uh, there was something greater. Uh, and to heal, and that's the crazy thing, too, is, is, I'm, is I heal or allow God to heal my soul, my heart, then that allows the relationships to become deeper because I'm not afraid of being exposed in the relationships. Yeah, yeah. And it's, that's where my heart is for guys. Um, you know, I did youth ministry forever, and I thought that that's where God was going to take me. Um, I, had no, I had no way did I think I would be at 60 years old not doing something in the church. But now I look back, and I think God is protecting the church, you know, the, <laughs> the people from me, as right. well as me as the church from or me from the church as well as the church from me yeah. but i look back now and my heart my passion is guys yeah. that don't feel loved don't feel that they measure valued up, or, don't feel that they yeah. are valued yeah. feel like they're just one big screw up and waiting to be exposed or waiting to be outed yeah and uh but like you and i have talked about as well is that there's some guys that just aren't ready for it yeah. I was talking to our, our friend Chuck at church on Sunday, and we were just talking about because he's he wants to get some of these other guys to come to our. We meet once a month, he and I, and uh, just talk. And he go he goes, but I don't, I can't, I can't get them. And it's like you and I talked about. I go, Chuck, they're not ready. Yeah. Because this is really it, it can be scary yeah. if you're not ready, yeah. because you're going to start to see what it is inside you. What is that darkness? Yeah. And that's what Seth says in his book, and then. Uh, that other book we've talked about, Truth and or uh, the Truth and Uncomfortable Book on Relationships by Neil Strauss, not a book I'd recommend to the faint of heart because yeah. of the stories that he talks about. But his whole thing too is getting to the point of looking at myself and and I am the problem. Yeah, it's not this next relationship. Yeah. it's I am the problem. Yeah, and God, I need you to show me. And it, yeah. and I or find, I need Jesus to pay that. Yeah. Like, oh, I should just, I got the blood of Christ over yes. me. And then people just, 
un unconsciously walk in that as some kind of an excuse not to change. Yeah. They don't even realize what that's about. No. The, the weight of that, you know, and that's been a passion of mine. But going to what you said about youth ministry, dude, you're kind of doing that right now. I've talked to 50-year-old, 50-year-old, 15-year-olds. Yes. Right? And they're starting to realize... Here's an interesting uh, uh, stat when it comes to people who seek out sexual addiction recovery. 75% of them, and I think I'm, I might even be in this, this, this number... Yeah, I'm pretty sure. I mean, I was, I had a number of addictions before sex, <laughs> but the reason why most men and women go into some kind of sexual addiction recovery is because they've hurt someone they love, and they realize at that point that they're 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 out of control in their behavior, or like you know the twelve steps say, um, my 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 behavior has become unmanageable to my soul, right? Right. And they've hurt someone they love, and they're going okay. Now I'm going to seek help, and then, and then the separation, right? They start to walk into that place. They start to realize, you know, they sit, they sit in the room with Morpheus, who's going to take the red pill or the blue pill, and they're like, ah, I don't know, you know, right? That's what you're talking about. That's yeah. what, the Matrix comes into my mind when you were saying that too about some people aren't ready, you know. That's yes. what Morpheus says in the Matrix. There's some people that are so reliant on the system that they're not ready, and I think God brings us people to that place yes. of being ready. And, it, and it's it's up to shepherds. I think that's what the shepherd analogy is right. in the Bible, is is that that we're we're there to to help them, right? Yeah. yeah. And it's well, not that we have all the answers. It's just that that you know there there's such a huge wake up when it comes to grace and understanding and not just higher power. There's something out there bigger than you. It's love. Yes. And it gets inside you. Mm -hmm. And it starts on the inside, and it works its way out. Because I've, you know, and for me, I've found that as, as I've grown in this and, and allowed God more, sounds mystical, more access to my heart and my soul, yeah. is the things that used to trigger my anger, or the things that I used to go to medicate, and anger was my medication, uh, it's not, it doesn't need it. I don't need it. Let me right. rephrase that. I don't need it as often, <laughs> right? Because I still find myself being caught up in that yeah. when things don't happen as I anticipate them happening, right? Or as the unknown, and that's a big. Well, that's one of our big fears too. Is 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 fears the unknown? You know, what's yeah. coming next? What's coming tomorrow? That's the mystical. That's yes. the mystery part. And I've been criticized for that recently. I did a podcast where I said, I said, if I'm going to label myself spiritually, I'm a I'm a Christian mystic spiritual anarchist. And and some folks that took some issue with that. And I lost some some. Uh, I lost one person on my Facebook group. Heart, mind, love, sex, and affection on Facebook is a group that I started. It's connected to the podcast, but whatever. Um, ASI two four seven org. If you want to be a part of that, <laughs> or not, or but but I I, I I I lost some people. Most people don't say anything. They just. Quit listening to you, or quit following you, right, or whatever. Right, right, right. But the ones who do stay stuff, I appreciate that because it lets me know that maybe I wasn't clear about a thing sure. or two. So maybe you could go into that a little bit, Steve, because being a pastor for so long and being connected and involved with churches as long as you've been, do you feel you had some kind of a what I call certainty addiction? Not just what I call, but it's it's out there like a like an addiction to I need to know 
that makes me feel safe if I know stuff. For Does me, yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it was a performance um, addiction. Uh, I would preach, and I would just feed off the responses I got. Okay. If I'm preaching, and I can see the people are are, are tracking, uh, I just it, it energized me inside, and it was it was a drug. The feeling again, it goes back to my feeling of unworthiness. You are worthy. I remember one time uh, uh, I'd, I'd spoken at, at, at my church, and uh, one of the guys that ran the soundboard came up to me afterwards, and he said, "Steve, we've never had as many people ask for that tape." Uh, oh, dude, that's cool. You know, yeah, I'm thinking, that. yeah, that's me. Yeah. You know, and and that's my that's been my hesitation since. Um, even I don't volunteer. Uh, my years as a sonic chaplain because that was a point of of uh, affirmation for me i hung my badge oh, there interesting i hung my honor on that so your ego yes so it was a it was a big ego thing so you would attach so you uh, correct me if i'm wrong but what you're saying is some of that certainty stuff was was housed in your your ego yes yeah yeah and i would not so you were the guy people came to for answers yeah. and if you're going to be that guy then you can't show your cracks. No. no. Right. Interesting. And I wouldn't be honest about not knowing either. Yeah. I remember there were several guys. Um, it, Vladimir Radmanovich uh, was, a, was another guy, um, big 6'10 guy from. Yeah. Uh, that, uh, that was my wife's favorite player. Really? Right here. <laughs> he was, a, he yeah. was an awesome dude. Uh, but he wouldn't just accept what, we, what I would share. He would come up and say, so one of his points was he came up to me and said, so how do you know that the scripture is real? How do you know that's the word of God? <laughs> Here I am, just caught my pants down, literally. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Okay, how am I going to make something up? Because I didn't know. <laughs> you know, and I, I go, well, because I know that Scripture has spoken to me in specific times of my life that ministered deeply into my heart. I'm like, that is such BS. I yeah. didn't believe it, but it bought the, bought the answer. Yeah. And now I'm at the point of saying, you know, guys will ask me stuff, and I'll, I'll say, I don't know. That's yeah. a great question. Yeah, that's great. Because my... Again, my in my. That's in so interesting season. because here you are. We've been friends for a while, and you're you're talking about the ego thing. And you know what? That's weird. And I'll admit this. Here's here's part of my weakness. If I knew you were the chaplain for the Sonics, like you know, would have been a weird light. Like I would have put you on some kind of weird ass pedestal. Isn't that strange yeah. that we do that as yeah. people? Well, and, 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 and as a crazy, sports fan and all that. Like, well, the crazy thing is, as I met um, everybody uh, that I had literally worshipped growing up. Uh, Bill Walton was one of my all-time favorites at UCLA and then in the pros. Uh, met him. The most gentle, kindest man I've ever met. Yeah. Coach uh, Carl. Coach Carl. He gave us complete access. That's awesome. He would talk to us and he would put off reporters. Mm. If he was talking to us, he goes, just a minute, I'm busy. Wow. And talk to us. And uh, uh, Larry Bird uh, met him. Uh, Magic Johnson. I did not meet Michael Jordan because that dude was surrounded by a minimum of 25 press everywhere I went. Wow. Went in their locker room, surrounded as locker. He couldn't go anywhere. Wow. But the thing that was so crazy about these guys, and you get past that, the guys, I look at him, I had you on my wall in high school, yeah. you know, and, and uh, your poster, and he said, and, I, and, and the thing that was so crazy about it, they're just like you and me. They're struggling with the same crap. Yeah. They would tell me, they'd go on the road and they'd say, Pray for us. And I go, how can I pray? And he goes, women. 
And I go, really? He goes, well, let me just tell you, let me give you a story. He goes, we get into a hotel, we'll get into a town, and the basketball uh, athlete is a different breed because they're in and out. They come into a town and they're gone. Yeah. They're not like baseball who'll come in for three or four nights yeah, yeah. or football who comes in for the weekend and then they go home. Right. For basketball, you're on the road for a couple of weeks. Well, he goes, here's our deal, man. We'll get into the hotel tonight, say two in the morning, and that lobby is filled with the most incredibly looking women I've ever met in my life, ever seen in my life. Wow. These are what imaginations go crazy with. He says, but we're still, you know, and these are the, these are the married. These are the married guys, right? Yeah. And they're and this guy's and he's he's he says pray for us, and I go so I will. I goes, what's it like? And he told me that, and he says, so you walk into the lobby, and there's probably forty of them, and you steal yourself. You said go on, and you go right for the elevator. You're in the elevator. You turn around. And there's two of the best looking in the elevator with you, one to go up to your room with you. Uh, and that is a that is there's a world I can't even begin to imagine. The but that's the temptation yeah, of these guys. Yeah. And that was there there is a, is a, is a rule pretty skeptical of people because you don't know what they want. Yeah. Uh, you want a piece of me? Yeah. I yes. heard a I heard a story where they were telling lawyers of NBA players were telling them if they have a one night stand with a woman to to not leave the room until they flush the condom down the toilet. Wow. Don't throw the condom in the garbage. Cause she'll fish it out of there and try right. to get pregnant. Cause that's a that's a cash cow, right? Right. It's just right. interesting. I could see that. I mean, I could see the validity yeah. of that because they that world is is nuts. The the the. It's like an ADHD rock star, right? Like, like they're in and out so fast. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Well, and they're in, they're in everywhere. I mean, my youngest daughter's friends was went to Everett High School and knew a lot of the Everett Silvertips at the time, and she'd go to she'd get comp games tickets for the games and all, and yeah. and I kind of joking with her one night. I I said, "Honey, you're not a groupie, are you?" And she looks at me and she goes, "Dad, they're not groupies. They're puck bunnies." <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> I I didn't know that. She goes, "And I'm not." Oh. Uh, but it's crazy because they're in, in all the sports. They. Uh, yeah. Even in, even here in Aquasox, uh, there's girls that hang out down there trying to catch something, and that goes back to that need to be something, yeah. to be of value. Yeah. And if I can attach myself to this player, or I can attach myself to this church, or I can, and and I'll be honest, you feel significant. Yes. You feel you know uh, of value. There's even in in some of that kind of groupy thing going on. There's a there's a sense of adventure and feeling alive in that. You know, my but, wife's gonna be listening to this, and she's gonna say, "I can tell you're getting passionate because you get loud." <laughs> I do get yeah. loud. I get loud I when that. I care about. You stuff. and I talk in church about stuff, and and sometimes, and we go yes. to a, a yes. pretty cool church, and <laughs> and and but yeah, we we talk about stuff, and hope no kids are around because sometimes they, the the words get. When I, when I get passionate, I tend to say swear words. People, this show is marked explicit. We talk about sex addiction on this show. This is not the show you listen to while you're driving around in the car with your five-year-old no. in the first place. So, now going <laughs> going off, on, I went off, we went off a tangent there. But, yes. But anyway, going back to what you were saying about celebrities, you got into a book by a guy named Neil Strauss. I've been trying to get him on this podcast, but his people aren't getting back to me. Uh, but he would be a great guest. Now, this guy... He wrote the uh, the tell-all book of Motley Crue, traveled with Motley Crue, uh, Marilyn Manson. He wrote a book with Jenna Jameson, the porn star, and, and he's most famous for his book called The Secret. 
and seminars that he did on picking up women. So he did a whole book on the secret life of pickup artists. Isn't that called The Game? The Game, yeah. Correct. I heard him in a few interviews. I have not read that. Oh, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I've heard him in a few interviews where he said that, he, he said that, because he's this, he's kind of a, kind of a short guy, he looks like an intellectual uh -huh. kind of Jewish dude, he's uh -huh. a bald guy, and, and he thought, well, I'll go do this book and be on the road with Motley Crue, I'm sure that'll get me laid. Uh-huh. Uh-uh. <laughs> like, the ladies weren't interested in Mr. Strauss, so he started to investigate the, the world of pickup artists, and, that, and, and that's how he learned how to pick up women. So, you know, you, you, throughout his life, after he writes this book, I think about the, the film Magnolia, and I picture him sort of as, as one of these guys who's a student of, or becoming sort of like, he started to become like that, he started doing his own seminars of how to pick up women and, and basically treat women as a commodity. You know? Yes. Right. Yes. And he's, you know, at the end of it all, he comes to this point where he was a sex addict. He goes, I'm, I'm lonely, I'm empty, feeling hollow, and I get all the sex I want, and it's not satisfying something in me. Yes. Yeah. And that, that need, I think, is the need of, of love that he's going into. But you read, I haven't read his book, but you, you and my friend John Gayton uh, read his book. Uh, the Truth. The Truth. An uncomfortable book the, uh, on relationships. Yes. Because that's the book that he wrote after, after all of that. And I'm, I love those stories because he's not a religious guy. No. Like, here's a guy who's, you know, well, the Bible says, like, you and I would no. be like, well, the Bible says you shouldn't screw around, and, the, and everybody knows that, right? Don't cheat, you know, that's in the Ten Commandments, don't commit adultery. But he gets into the reason why. It's not that it's about shoulds and oughts, it's about what's going to give you life and make you feel alive and of value and the ripple effect you leave on this world, right? Yeah. So tell me some about how, as, as a pastor, how, how that book affected you. And, and, I mean, you don't have to go into detail about your yeah. lights. I mean, you be candid. But I, I respect that. But, I mean, you, you were talking about how it, it really impacted how you see sex and sexuality. and As a medicating factor. Yeah. Um, and that's what, again, that's what he, he hit, like we talked earlier. He hit rock bottom. He had hurt the one woman that meant everything to him because he couldn't be satisfied because there was still that need yeah. and for me that's what it's understanding is beginning is why do I do what I do no matter what it is yeah uh, I look back at the relationships I had prior to my wife meeting my wife and uh, why did I treat those women as I treated those women trying to satisfy a need right. that wasn't being satisfied yeah. and I would I would Focus on a girl, and, and, and Strauss in his book says, there is nothing more appealing to a guy to find a woman, a beautiful woman who doesn't think she's attractive. Yeah. Because those are the ones that we go, and those are the ones that I would target, because I knew I could have them. And then once I had them, I didn't want them anymore, because I'd have them. Yeah. And by had them, I mean just date them. Yeah. I don't want my daughters going to hear this. <laughs> right, but that's where you were. I think right, that's, that's, that's exactly. Honest. Exactly. It's an honest place to be. I my, wish... My wife, I was attracted to my wife because she wouldn't sleep with me right away. And they can come to find out later that she wasn't really that attracted to me anyway. <laughs> so she didn't want to sleep with me. But I was always pretty good at, at you know, if a woman was interested in me. I, it, but I disrespected them if they did. Yes. So if I could get them into bed on the first night or the second night or, you know, within three dates or whatever the freaking rule is right. in the game that everyone plays right. in dating. Um, 
yeah, that was a weird thing in me that I just, you know, it was a, it was disrespect. I think about predator and prey in that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there's a lot of that in popular culture. You know, that song by Duran Duran has been covered by a bunch of times. You know, hungry like the wolf. Yeah. 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 And and what and then what Strauss will say too. He says is hey, we got to get. We began his. He began his relationship. He and his and his wife now uh, began a relationship, and they're both unhealthy. And I look back at my life, and I was unhealthy. I've told my wife multiple times, "As you should never marry me," yeah. because at the time I was not well, I was not healthy at all. Yeah. And what we need in relationships, and it's how I would I would encourage dudes, especially if you're not married, is look for people that are healthy. Yeah. Um, and if and above that. Get yourself healthy, yeah. Because you're going to bring into a relationship all kinds of your stuff, and that's. Just, I mean, relationships are. They're going to see behind the counter yes. of your life, whether yes. you want them to or not. And, and and you can put up big walls and you get glimpses. I like some of those spy movies. You know, the spies are always they lie to their spouse about what they do for a living, but the spouses can still tell. Yes. Something's going on. All right. Mm-hmm. Something you know, is intuition or or whatever it is. There's something going on in there, right? So in, in Strauss and the rest of the, and throughout this book, uh, it, and even towards the end when he becomes fully, uh, I don't know if he considered the word healed, but more whole, I guess, was when he realized, he looked back at his life and realized the pain and the wounds that were causing the behavior yeah. that was sabotaging every relationship he had ever been in. And it, really, it was it's so crazy, and that's what, what gave me hope in even reading the book as a follower of Jesus as a former pastor um, is that in that book even through a secular writer there is truth that God is is pulling out and exposing me to and I think you know I think in the whole thing is that God's bringing me into into seasons and into relationships like that I can I can deal with it that at that moment where I need to um, yeah. Five years ago, ten years ago, I could not even look at half the stuff I'm doing. Yeah, and and, and that's even in you and my relationship. You know, ten years ago, oh man, you'd have scared me <laughs> because I'd have had to look at myself. Yeah. you know, it's like we were talking earlier about that uh, high plains drifter. Uh, Clint Eastwood says in the in the book or in the movie, he's uh, he said he's accused of making people nervous in, in in Clint Eastwood typical fashion. Every one of his movies, you know, has that one. Line. Yeah, he's got a good he's line. One awesome line, and this line for me as I watched this the other night was, "Well, it's what a man sees inside himself that he's afraid of." Yeah. I'm like, "Yes, that's exactly right." Yeah. And we don't we don't want to look, and that's what Strauss in his book finally got to realize is when he looked at himself and looked at what's inside himself and the wounds, and allow and and, and Seth Taylor said that too in his book is allowing that wound to be exposed to the light. Yeah, exactly. And Neil Strauss, I don't know, would would understand what that light is, but as, as followers of Jesus, we know that light is, is God shining into our dark spaces. And the scary thing is, is for me is was growing up was I couldn't expose that because God certainly is not going to accept that. Yeah. But now I realize you know, I'm just, you know, peel it back God, you know, more of Peel back what I can look at now, yeah. and I'm an, I know in two two months down the road, three months, six months down the road, there'll still be peeling back layers that I'm ready to look at 
and yeah. say, okay, and it's making me better, hopefully making me a better husband, hopefully making me a better dad, a better friend, um, a better uh, worker. Yeah. As that improves and that just makes everything in life function. Yeah, and that's part of, so one of the things you said about that is looking looking at what you see inside yourself that you fear. And that's changed your theology some, right? Your mm-hmm. relationship with God. Mm-hmm. I mean, to use that word, um, your relationship with yourself as well. There's some of that, I think, that Christians are, are, are very afraid of. Is, is It's in the Psalms where, where, and Jesus talks about it and he quotes it. I talked about this in my last podcast where, where Jesus says stuff like, we're, we're, we're gods, you're little gods, right? Mm-hmm. We don't like that. I think that a lot of Christian culture today is afraid of that because it takes some of the power away from their the the church or the denomination or something. We start feeling independent about ourselves in our relationship with God, then they lose some of that power. And I think that's where a lot of Christians are afraid maybe to step out of their paradigm. Right. You know, that's why I talk about and people I think that it makes people nervous because when I say things like be a bridge builder, not a wall builder, I think people are afraid of the world out there as if I okay, if I do that, Russ, and I start thinking about you know, what what would a shaman do or you know, Seth Taylor going to Royal Raven Center and, 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 and stuff like that. We start thinking about oh, other spiritualities and we live in a big world as the internet like the internet's one of those things that was showing us is taking down walls, taking out boundaries. Mm-hmm. The world has got really smaller when we see, you know, how the internet's affected. There's other people of other faiths who are having similar things going on in them and, and our I, I, you know, I'm a Christian because par- partially because I grew up here in the United States and I've been exposed to Christianity. But also, I really like the idea of a God who came down, you know, entered into time and space and walked among us. So, so that's the thing about Christianity that I that I believe and I and I love and why I consider myself a Christian. I think that Jesus interrupted me. Mm-hmm. I wasn't really out on a quest to search for God, you know. I was right. on a quest for self-destruction. You know, right. I wanted to live my life like a bottle rocket. You know, just light the fuse, and just bang! That's how I wanted. And, and God interrupted that, and, and I, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. So we hate. I mean, in the, in the church today, you don't even like. We don't even like the word evolved. Yeah. But yet I feel like it's, it's growth. It's growth. <laughs> Yes. Steve, you're supposed yes. to use the word growth or, or transformation. Use transformations are better. I am evolving <laughs> in my theology, yeah. and uh, one of the things that I've been wrestling internally with uh, is this whole idea. I consider myself a Reformed Calvinist, but that's evolving. That's why I tend right. to say uh, evolving. Right. Um, I have begun to really struggle with the whole idea of the total depravity of man. Yeah. And I think I got a lot of this from, from Seth Taylor. I was listening to the, you know, we were talking about earlier, I was listening to a podcast on the drunk ex-pastors last night, and they're talking about Calvinists, and they've thrown them in this camp that's totally uh, irrelevant to the church today. But but one of the things that I struggle with it's is very that... existential. Yes. Right? Yeah, yeah. Yes. Anyway, one of the things I struggle with is that total depravity. I mean, I am a piece of crap. Yeah. Well, Paul says in Romans, 
For we all have sinned yeah. and fallen short of the glory of God. But what if? This is just thoughts I'm thinking and bantering around. My wife says, I have too much time alone. But I say, <laughs> because I think of this kind of stuff, yeah. I think, what if that sin was simply the idea of losing that, that understanding of God's love for us? Yeah. For we've all lost that yeah. love, that understanding, that Christ on the cross, what greater love. Yeah. That's like uh, Brendan Manning in his book when he's one of his books, I've read almost all of them, but he's he goes to uh, Brennan is a name of his friend, who as he go, as his 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 born, birth name is Francis Manning, and when he was inducted or came into the uh, the Franciscan uh, Brotherhood, I can't remember what it's called now, but anyway, he took on the name and he took on the name of Brennan, and and he says. He goes and meets Brennan's mom after Brennan was killed in the war, and he says something. I'm, I'm no, I'm not going to get this all correct, but she said she, he was doubting his love, and she said, "Jesus Christ, He died for you," meaning Brennan, but also meaning Jesus Christ. How much? How much more can we love? Can yeah. can love be shown? And that's what the cross to me has become taken on a totally new power yeah. because it's like as you meditate which thanks to Seth Taylor started to do yeah. yeah but as you look at that and meditate on the cross and see that <clears throat> that love like you said interrupted that God loved you so much that he interrupted your life yeah likewise that he interrupted my life that he did not give up and say okay you're done I'm done you know yeah. forget yeah. it so I like I said I am evolving but that idea of the that original sin yeah. Being walked away, ignored or lost the understanding. God loves me. Yeah. Uh, we had a discussion with some other friends of mine, and we were just talking. I said, "So let me ask you a question. Do you look at do you view God as a judge or as as?" And, and Matt Chandler actually actually asked this question in a, in a in a message. Do you view God as a judge or as a dad? And uh, it's interesting to ask that question because you get both. You get a lot of, of responses. Um, yeah. I get. Both, a lot of people say both, and yeah. and I would have probably said more judge huh. up to the last couple of years, right. and now it's more of a dad, and not of a dad that's waiting for me to screw up, but as a dad that's trying to steer me, trying to encourage me. I'll screw up, but he's not going to stop being my dad. Yeah. yeah, and that's how I've begun to view and continue to develop an understanding of how I view God. Yeah, is he's not this judge. I'm not going to go out. And, Taylor uses the illustration. I'm not going to go watch a movie with God as a judge. Oh, that can't be right. <laughs> that's not. No, no. I've heard, be, dude, I've heard pastors say that. Like, would you watch that movie with Jesus? You know, like, come on, man. It's like that's just. Ugh. Yeah, I want to watch it with weird, my dad. Exactly. I want to watch it with my dad. Yeah, exactly. and that's how I begin to view God now. Yeah, is that healing and that understanding His love? Yeah, and and that is changing everything. Yeah, because there was a, an energy to that that would trigger me. Like, ugh, God, does mm -hmm. God... Like, if God is some kind of self-righteous a-hole that I wouldn't bring to a movie because it had swear words in it or something, <laughs> you know? I mean, mm -hmm. people use all sorts of imagery to tell stories. Uh, yeah, I would just, like, I'm, I'm going to that God's hell. 
Yes. That's what I would say. That's what I would say. I must be going to that God's hell. I'll just well, check then, out now. Yeah. The verse that, that he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Yeah. Uh, that really messed me up. Because I think, well, in, in my mind, okay, I'm not keeping his commandments. Ergo, I must not love God. Ergo, I must not be going to heaven. Yeah. But no, it's like, if you love me, what's the outpouring of that? Is you will obey his commandments. Yeah. You don't obey his commandments to get the love. It's like if, if I go home tonight and, and I'll clean up around the house. I'll, I'll pick up. I'll feed the cats. I'll unload or load the dishwasher or vacuum or whatever. I don't do that because I'm afraid my wife is going to come home and just go ballistic on me. Yeah. I go do that now out of my love and respect to serve and honor her. Likewise in our relationships with God. I find that I don't have to do stuff anymore. Yeah. I want to do it now. Yeah. And that's the battle. That was the battle growing up. Because I felt like I couldn't go to this movie. Or I couldn't listen to that music. And yeah. I listened to that music. Regardless. That, that word obedience. Yes. Right? Well, you got to be obedient. Well, why? Yes. Yeah, that was always my question. And I think that some of my growing up and, and being a, a crazy acting out, going to jail, teenager, was, does anybody give a shit? You know? Right. I was just trying to get someone's attention. I think me too. I think yeah. honestly that was me. Yeah. I was just trying to get attention or trying to find value yeah. in value. something. That's the need of value yes. again, yeah. What I wanted was value. You know, what what I needed was value. What I wanted was someone to pay attention to me. Right. Or to get to get my folks attention. Um, thanks for being on the podcast, hey, Steve. I want to Absolutely uh, one more question before you go. Uh how do you want to be remembered? Oh, God. Is, not, not what's written on your epitaph, but right. as far as the relationships and the ripple effect that your life leaves, how, how, how would you want to be remembered as, as a man, as a dude? Wow, that is a, that's actually a question I have, I've been kind of bouncing around in my head, um, thinking um, about... Um, you know, because as I look back at my dad, uh, I looked at his at his at his service that was spoken, and I, I thought at the time, what would be mine? And uh, I guess he loved mm. because even in even in saying that um, is bringing up some emotion. Mm. Because I think that's probably been my struggle my entire life is to be loved. Mm. And if if I could somebody get up and speak spoke at my uh, at my service and, and said Steve loved. Yeah. Dot, dot 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 dot. You knew you were loved by Steve. God. Steve loved God. Yeah. Steve loved his family. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. He loved his friends. Mm. You know that that would wow. That's that's kind of a aha moment right there. Yeah. But yeah, he loved. Yeah. That would be my epitaph. Yeah. Thanks, Steve. Thanks, Russ, for inviting me, man. Yeah. This and, is cool. And, uh, and I feel loved. I feel the love. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I do. No, seriously, man. Your 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 life has impacted mine, and just being friends with you is is has been a blessing. You know. Coming back to church after the whole Mars Hill explosion and and meeting you and some other you were you were I didn't know you before that 
but meeting you at uh, at uh, Port Gardner there and, and amongst the other Mars Hill folks that, that kind refugees. of refugees refugees I mean honestly I like I like Chuck and I like you know Leo was going there yeah. Leo my friend and uh, but I, honestly, if I'm honest, I went to that church because it was the church where I knew some people, and it was closest to my house. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's likewise. Yeah. And I don't look back. I, I honestly, you know, we both went to Mars Hill, didn't know each other at Mars Hill, yeah. um, but that time at Mars Hill was instrumental in my life. Mm. Um, had all of its flaws, but what doesn't? Yeah. Um, I was listening to some old music back um, from that. 70s and 80s, and I grew up with rock and roll. I mean, I remember I used to live, I used to lay down with my headphones on and playing Black Sabbath. Yeah. Uh, and my mom was looking at me, just shaking her head. But I remember the first real rock, Christian rock band. And, and uh, this came to me last weekend. I was walking around the Aldwood Mall with a bunch of the other seniors listening to one of your podcasts. And uh, I was thinking back to those days of that music. And, and I remember you asked... Uh, Somebody, it might have been Seth Taylor, what what song would sum up his life? So I've, I've been thinking about that a lot. But I was yeah. with this old, this, I don't remember, Resurrection Band. was this band out of Chicago. Uh -huh. Formed a community called Jesus People USA. And they had their issues like everybody else. But there was one song that as I was listening to it, I pulled it up on YouTube. And as I was listening to it, I was in the mall. I was just weeping as I walked through the mall. And the song is uh, Waiting Your Reply. And uh, she says... Wendy Kaiser says in the song she says uh, that uh, I was lying in my bed trying to arrange my head when a letter come him came in saying I was dead and she goes on and he goes but he said and he nailed it to my heart I love you awaiting your reply oh, uh, and that's like I mean I, I listened to that song first time was 1979 uh -huh. and I was listening to that song just weeping because that was it and I didn't even realize the impact uh, that God loved me yeah. Waiting my reply. Yeah. What am I gonna? How am I gonna respond to that? So uh, if I had a song, it'd be a Resurrection Band. Right. Awaiting your reply. Cool. That's awesome. Thanks, See, brother. We're gonna lead out with that song. And uh, again, uh, th thanks for being on the podcast. And for all you listeners out there, uh, Steve, how could could folks get a hold of you or in touch with you? Or uh, you're on Twitter and, and Facebook. You're on the social media, right? Um, email probably the safest and the best okay. because then uh, S Carter seventy four seventy nine at Comcast.net. Seventy four the year I graduated from high school. Seventy nine the year I graduated from college. Okay, cool. S Carter seventy four seventy nine at Comcast.net. Reach out. I'm here. All right, cool. Yeah, yeah. thanks. But I am thanks on Facebook as well. Yeah, there you go. So you're just the Steve Carter that's in the Seattle area. Everybody. Yes, it's actually in Facebook. I'm at Stephen Carter. Stephen Carter. Yes. There you go. Cool. Right on. All right. All right. Thanks, Steve. Thank you, Russ. And there goes Steve Carter. Again, a salty guy. A guy who's on a journey, on a pilgrimage. Um. A guy who inspires me. And why does he inspire me? Because his story is moving forward. And if there's anything I can do to motivate you listeners who are still listening right now, it's to, listen, turning that compulsion into creativity simply takes a shift, all right? The biblical word for repentance, if you break it down in some of the ancient Hebrew, it simply means to shift directions, all right? To change 
direction. Um, I, I said it a long time ago, I'll say it again. One of the cheesiest bumper stickers in the world was something that captured me at just the right time. It had just the right message when I needed to hear it. And it said, God allows U-turns. And I've seen that before, but at that day, it was just profound. God allows U-turns. It's time for change. It's time to turn that compulsion into creativity. It's time to move your story forward, all right? And some people may think that's selfish. Listen, when you start to grow, when you start to change, it will inspire the people around you. It'll inspire your kids. It will inspire your, it, it, it may annoy, all right? It may annoy your mate or spouse if you're in a relationship, but over time, you know, you learning how to play that instrument or writing that book or doing that thing that you've been putting off, um, going after that new career, whatever it is, you know what it is too. You got that creative, that thing in you, that energy in you, and it's being it's being treated with the compulsion. It's bonding to something else. All right, it's bonding to again human relationship and being an inspiration folks around you. I love you guys. I'm going to leave the show right there. Until next time, listen, pray, ask God for direction. Um, he honors those prayers. God honors those prayers, all right? Seek the Holy Spirit. She will meet you, all right? She, she will help cultivate that garden in your heart, Um and walk with Jesus, right? I covered the whole Trinity right there. Uh, I love you guys. Again, I mean that sincerely. Till next time, I'll lead out with that song that Steve uh, suggested here. It's one that touched his heart. Maybe it'll uh, move something in yours. Bye.